0: Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to an entirely new podcast series. And I want to introduce right off the bat, I've got a really great partner, Gord Vickman. Gord, it's really great to start this new series. Just a little background on it. I've had personally great success with podcasts starting probably about six years ago, and I just want to put kudos out to Joe Polish, because Joe of Genius Network, actually said, you know, Dan, the way that you talk about things, the kinds of concepts that you have lend themselves very much to audio, and that the whole opportunity now with podcast technology based on the internet and based on the fact that more and more individuals like to listen according to their own convenience than like to watch things. I took them seriously and I found it uncomfortable to begin with, which I think a lot of individuals do and we started creating podcast series and they were successful and I got to a certain point where we were creating a great backlog of podcasts and there's complexities building up backstage for this and so about a year ago I just decided, I said, you know, I need a real pro that I want to bring in here who just knows how to bring simplicity to the complexity that I've been creating. So long story short, we went through a process, Gord actually applied for this specialty that we've created, and he's podcast manager for Strategic Coach. So, Gord, it's really great to have you here. And I think I kind of surprised you when (laughs) I said, not only are you going to be backstage with podcasts, you're going to be front stage. So, we're going to have our own series where we just talk about the entire context of why podcasts have become such big payoffs for entrepreneurs who really take this seriously as a way to communicate their value creation out across the world and actually to make an impact not just locally with their value creation, but actually to go around the world. So can you talk a little bit about this? Because I should say this as I introduce Gord, that one of the things that really I found enormously attractive was the great background you had had with radio, mm-hmm. you know, which is actually losing out to podcasts right now. Radio is diminishing as podcasts grow. Yeah. Well, Dan, just want to say it's
1: very thrilling for me to be here with you. I've listened to hundreds of the shows, both in studio and even before I joined Coach here. It's very surreal to be sitting in here with you right now, <laughs> kind of doing one. But it's exciting. And as you mentioned, you know, I I was on air for about 10 years down in London, Ontario, doing morning radio. And to parlay that into the digital space, which, like you mentioned, is growing much more so than terrestrial radio. I mean, we have people leaving... Anchor jobs and leaving traditional media jobs to jump into the podcast space all over the place. And with broadcasters like CBC, there was an announcement recently that um, people were actually leaving the anchor desk to go and focus strictly on podcasts. So it's a good indication of where things are going. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we're going to cover a lot of that on this brand new series called Podcast Payoffs. It's funny you brought up Joe Polish. I had a thought last night when I was thinking about the show we were going to do today. I think Joe Polish may have been the world's first podcaster. And I don't even think he knows it. And here's why. Joe sort of cut his teeth. He was a carpet cleaner and he was looking for ways to market that carpet cleaning business much more effectively than he had been. So do you remember what he did Mm -hmm. on his ads? Mm -hmm. So what Joe Polish did, he included a phone number on his ads and you could call that phone number and he would provide education to you. You would learn what you have to do and what you have to avoid. When you're trying to hire a carpet cleaner, you would basically telephone this number, right? So when you think about that in its most basic sense, he's providing education for free to let people know the things that they have to do and the pitfalls that they should avoid in a very strange way. How is that not a podcast? Mm -hmm. I mean, the delivery method is different now because we go online and we subscribe through Apple iTunes or Google or Stitcher Mm -hmm. or Spotify or however you're doing it. But Joe Polish may have been podcasting 25 years ago, and I think he might not even know it yet. Mm -hmm. So the next time you talk to Joe, you can mention he may be the world's first podcaster.
0: Well, the other thing that Joe did then when we were not quite online, but, you know, you could do CDs... He created a whole series where he would just interview people who had great, unique capabilities all around the world. This was just provided to his growing number of individuals who were in his marketing world, which started off with carpet cleaning. But then he said, well, I'm just going to give another layer of value to all the people who are part of my program. You know, he had people sign up for his program, and he would teach carpet cleaners how to be good carpet cleaners to contrast themselves to people who could be con men or that it could be fly-by-night organizations. And he did this around... Actually, a little book he put together, which was A Consumer's Guide to Getting Great Carpet Cleaning Specialists to Come Into Mm -hmm. Your House. He actually did a, it was either 60 Minutes or 2020, one of the big network TV shows where he went in disguise as a really bad carpet cleaner (laughs) and actually went in and showed how sneaky carpet cleaners could get your money but still leave you with either ruined or dirty carpets. I mean, it went viral. But that was just part of his exploring how do I actually get people to be interested in something that's not really interested, both from a consumer standpoint, but also how can you be an actual high integrity professional in this business so you can differentiate yourself from all the, as he called them, scumbags. That's a favorite word that Joe has is scumbags. And he was hated. I mean, he got hate mail right off the oh, bat no because he was interfering with people's cash flow, their dishonest cash flow. But then he just became known as this really superb interviewer. But again, even though they came out in CD form, these were kind of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Because you've been involved in the power of voice, and we're going to talk about that, of why voice is becoming such a major communication. It's kind of ironic, because it's probably the first medium that was used (laughs) tens of thousands of years ago. But from your standpoint, if you go back to your radio career, Gord. What was it that got you interested, first of all, just in the radio medium in the first place? I should say here that Gord has also done video and documentary film, so he's Mm -hmm. really explored just how, if you got a valuable message, how do you get that message out there? But what was it originally that got you interested in the whole radio world? That's the first part of my question, and then the second part of my question, when did you know this crossover from radio being the main voice medium to podcasts? being almost like an exponentially growing medium.
1: I was always interested, I think, in stories. My grandfather, not with us anymore, Toby Vickman, passed away a few years ago, but he was a great storyteller. He was a nickel miner up in Sudbury for all of his life he was a blaster so he would take the dynamite and he would basically blow holes in rocks and he was working in the smelter and he had all kinds of different jobs but he used to tell stories about things that would happen in the mine and he would tell stories about the guys and the things that they would do and tell us about the nicknames they would have so he told us the story once about this guy they called him submarine that was his nickname i said toby why did they call him submarine well he got pretty wasted one night and drove his car into the river (laughs) so they called this guy submarine and i we were kids my two sisters and i we would sit around and we would listen to Toby tell stories. I just loved it. I could listen to him. And my dad's a great storyteller. And there's a lot of people in my family as well. So I always knew that it was something that I I just couldn't get away from. I just loved hearing people tell stories. And the radio career actually started before I ever got paid for it. Because when I was 14, I wasn't even old enough to drive yet. I applied to volunteer at the campus radio station in Sudbury. It was called CFLR back then. It has different call letters now. But every Wednesday, my father would drop me off at 10 p.m. And from 10 to 12, I would just do a volunteer radio show. So I've been doing this since I was a teenager, essentially. And it was something that I always loved. And then getting into radio, 2004, I started with Chorus Entertainment. The capabilities that we have now weren't really available then. There was no opportunity to put videos online. I remember getting a JPEG, getting a photo on our website. First of all, getting a website for the radio station was groundbreaking. There were a lot of people in our sales department who didn't feel we needed a website for the radio station. And it
0: sounds insane when you think about it now, but people didn't really think that we needed one. Just from a chronology standpoint, what years are we talking about right now so that there's a time context? How quickly this has emerged? It happened very quickly. So
1: 2004 was my first job. In radio, I was hired to produce. So I was the technical producer of the morning show on the rock station down in London. So I was the guy flying the proverbial
0: helicopter. And I just want for everybody who is not a Canadian to know this is the London that's London, Ontario, 120 yes. miles from Toronto. This yes. is not the London. That's right. It's London. They have
1: a Thames River as well. So all the style that they could bite from the other London they possibly could. But they're lovely people. And I spent 10 years of my life down there. Essentially, seeing the transition, it was an interesting time to be in radio because I think more change happened throughout that time frame from 04 to 14 than possibly at any other time because that's when the Internet and the capabilities of the Internet essentially exploded. So to go back and answer the second part of your question, when did I realize that the digital was the area where people were going to go? I had this idea for a clip show. So we would do a week of morning radio. That was all live. And then we had some bits that were okay. I mean, nobody bats Mm -hmm. a thousand. Some of the clips were good, some were okay, and some were great. So I started saving all the good ones and saving all the great ones, and then I put them together, and I made essentially like a best-of show that would run, and I would create an MP3, and I put it up on our website. And I remember it was a real struggle to get the tech people to figure out at the time, how do we get an MP3 up on the website? And again, it just seems so commonplace and so simple right now. It's just a few clicks away and virtually anyone with no tech skills at all can handle this. But back then, I remember it was a real process Mm -hmm. trying to figure out, well, how are we going to get an MP3 on the website? This is 2004, 2005. And we started putting them up and I noticed that people were talking about them. People were saying, oh, I downloaded the MP3 of the clip show that you had. And other radio stations were doing it. I mean, this is not something that I invented. I've never claimed to or anything like that. But radio stations were putting samples of their shows online for people to go get when they wanted them. And people were talking about it almost as much as they were talking about the live. And that's when a few of our friends in the broadcast industry and those, we kind of had an inkling and podcasts weren't really spoken about yet. The capability wasn't there yet, but I knew that the popularity of the clips that we had made available for people when they wanted them on their own schedule were being talked about. So there was something there and I think that's where it all started.
0: And there's something I want you to, kind of educate us here because you're very very good about the worldwide numbers and there's actually scorecards out there you know which indicate how fast podcasting is growing Mm -hmm. but also what it takes to actually have a great podcast i'm patting myself on the chest here But when we defined what it was that we were actually looking for right at the stage when you found out that this position of podcast manager was available, what did you think we were doing out there, and what did you find out when you arrived, because everything you've told about the impact of what we're doing out there came as a surprise to me. It was just an activity that I loved doing. Joe told me to do it. Mm -hmm. And generally, all my growth as a marketer, I was always a good salesperson Mm -hmm. if I had someone in front of me. But what Joe said, look, first of all, it's harder getting in front of someone these days because of the pressures of time. And the second thing is that, it's an entirely different medium and you're not selling something, you're not selling a product, you're not really selling a service. To a certain extent, what you're selling is thinking. So could you just say, because it's been within the last 12 months, that you found out about us, you were interested in what we said we were looking for but can you say that what you discovered because the thing i discovered about you is i got about 10 times more talent than i was actually looking for you my blushing in here yes yeah yeah well (laughs) we didn't sign up on the series to be enemies and adversaries you know so anyway but what did you notice from the time you came on and really found out what we were up to That kind of surprised you. What surprised me was that you were doing it right, right off
1: the top. So in the early 2000s, when podcasting started coming to be, people thought this is what it was going to be, and it was going to be big, and it was going to be great, and it was going to be this new medium, and it was going to be a huge revenue generator. And then it had a lull because people decided it didn't work. And here's why. They were doing it wrong. So we had salespeople and those with the capability to close in all kinds of various industries. And they would say to themselves, well, if it takes me 20 minutes to make this sales call, why don't I just record a sales call, I'll call it a podcast, I'll put it out online, it'll reach the world, and then my sales calls will be done for me and then the money's gonna start flowing in and I'm off on the beach. It didn't work that way because the best podcasts in the world are the ones that share information, perhaps share secrets if you can, and essentially distribute knowledge. And they're not asking for anything in return. Think about it for a minute. Do you want to sit down and listen to a podcast, which is nothing but a sales pitch, someone just like mercilessly pitching you about something? How is that interesting to anyone? And then people started to realize well, maybe we had been doing it wrong the whole time. Maybe the intention of this is not to pitch people and have this hard sell at the end, call this number. And again, we'll go back to what Joe Polish had been doing with his little phone in. He's providing information and details and he's providing education for people and he's not asking for anything in return. I had listened to your shows before I ever had any inclination that I would even meet you, much less work with you. And I had been listening to the shows and I knew that you had been doing them right because... You're providing education on our shows Inside Strategic Coach, Multiplier Mindset, Shannon's Team Success as well, and all the partner shows you do, not only with Joe, with Peter Diamandis and Mike Koenigs and and the other ones. But as I was going through the archives, there was one show in particular that really stuck out, and it was a show that you were talking about your father. And we're talking about what does it take for us to trust people, right? If you want to trust someone, there has to be a feeling that they trust you as well. We're much more likely to trust someone if we feel they trust us. So there's this element of reciprocity here. but Like I've mentioned to you before, someone has to go first. And you told this really great story about your father and that I'll paraphrase here. Obviously, you can tell the story much better than I can, but he was sort of tough to reach, right? When you were growing up. And then there was an incident, and then all of that flipped. And it was just a really beautiful narrative, and it was you being vulnerable because you're telling the story about your family. So it's one of the most perhaps vulnerable things that you can be talking about. You don't know what people are going to do with this information. You don't know if they're going to hold it against you. You don't know if they're going to talk about you behind your back. You don't know if they're going to use it for any reason. You don't know if they're going to judge you, but you did it anyway. You just said, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to go first. So you told this story that made you quite vulnerable. And as a listener, I heard that. And my trust for you instantly just skyrocketed because you went first. You trust me with this information that you have no idea what I'm going to do with. So now my trust for you starts to climb exponentially because you Mm -hmm. went first. Nobody told you that. You had no former prior broadcasting knowledge. You just did it. So it was instinctual. And I knew that when I came into this position, I knew that I had a lot to work with. And I knew that you and the network and what we were doing here at Coach was already way ahead of the game in the first place. So it made my job very easy when I came in here because a lot of the groundwork had already been laid. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to work with talented, dedicated people who already know what they're doing before they've ever even been told what to do. So that's essentially my mindset. When I came in here, I knew I had a lot to work with.
0: Yeah. And I want to tell you that I remember it was a day when you told me that the thing about the trust and, you know, first of all, I was very complimentary about this specific episode. Actually, it was at your job interview. (laughs) He, He came in and he told me this at his job interview. And I just want to say we had four applicants for the position. And what I discovered, because this got screened out before I actually met Gord, was the only person who made it through the screening process. But one of the things that really impressed my team, who actually hire people. I'm a salesperson, and a salesperson's the last person in the world you want actually interviewing from a job because you're trying to sell the person to take the job, you know, and that's not appropriate. Salespeople make incredibly bad (laughs) hiring people. But anyway, the thing that really, really impressed everybody, of the four applicants, you're the only one who had actually listened to the podcast that we had already produced. And I said, wow, you know, not only that, but you had some very positively critical comments about how we were doing what we were doing, and you chose that story about my father simply to say that's just an incredibly good way to be a podcast performer is Mm -hmm. to actually tell stories like that and actually indicate to the listeners something about yourself.
1: Yeah. One thing we're going to do on this series, Podcast Payoffs, we are going to get into how to go about doing it, but... The information is so widely available online. You can Google these types of things. We're not going to get into the intricacies of this mic and that mic and that microphone because that information is widely available. But we're going to talk more in terms of the theory and uh, what makes a great podcast, specifically things like the planning. Okay, but before we get into that, you mentioned surprises, Dan. So I wanted to ask you, what was surprising about the medium from your perspective when you started doing this? Because you said you were a little skeptical at first and things weren't going as smoothly as you may have thought they would be. So what was it that was surprising about this medium and how have you come to terms with that or embrace that or how has that been digested?
0: Well, I'll tell you, because I came out of advertising before I started coaching in 1974, I left a big advertising agency. Canadian, it was the second largest Canadian advertising agency, but they were part of a worldwide network, BBDO, which was one of the five biggest global advertising companies. And the agency I was with in Toronto was just the Canadian representative of this worldwide network. And they had big corporations as their clients, Kraft, Chrysler, and then one of the really big Canadian banks, and Canadian banks are really big, The number five bank in Canada has 400 branches, so that kind of gives you an idea of the size of this. And I was a junior writer. I wasn't one of the key account writers. So I had a lot of experience with small entrepreneurial clients. And what I just noticed was that I didn't want to just ask them about their advertising. I wanted to ask them about their business and what their plans were for their business. So it ventured out into a lot of different areas, which today we would call entrepreneurial coaching but I didn't know that at that time because there was no creature out in the marketplace called an entrepreneurial coach, but I had the crossover. Prior to that, my experience of audio presentations that you were scripted, you were scripted and you were, as you said before, you weren't engaging with the audience, you were broadcasting to the audience. The other thing was it was incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, It required studio It was done on tape in those days. You might do 10 do-overs to get it right. You know, even when they could splice tapes, they still wanted you to kind of get the script. So it wasn't any different than what was happening on television. It wasn't about you engaging with another person really? you weren't doing a conversation that was recorded. You were scripted and that was, you were strictly selling to the audience. And that's the other aspect is you were selling something. Mm -hmm. So what really struck me and Joe, if I could start with one person in the world who is the best person in the world to start with, it was Joe Polish because Joe's a great conversationalist and he's not scripted at all. So, The actual program that you're involved with gets created just out of the conversation. So that's the other surprise. And I've always been really good at conversation. And I've always been good at kind of a natural improv skill. And at one point, we took our entire team to Second City, the very famous comedy club. And they have a school on... Improv. How do you, with just an idea, go up on stage with a partner or a series of partners and actually create an entire performance where everybody just has to adjust in the moment Mm -hmm. and watch what somebody started and then just help the other person go forward? So the two rules of improv, and these are absolutely the two rules of podcasting, is that you never block your partner you don't ignore your partner and the second thing is you never counter your partner you just watch what your partner has created and then you say i wonder how i can add to this i wonder how i can give my partner help and then they reciprocate by doing the same thing back to you and that's what actually creates the magic of the conversation because the audience knows They didn't rehearse this. And there's something about the non-rehearsing of the production or the presentation that's going out that people find fascinating because they realize that they don't know what's coming, but they have the sense that the performers themselves are not quite sure what's coming next. And it actually really, really gets them very interested. And I was very good at that. And my coaching style in the workshops is I've got a basic outline of what's gonna be talked about and how we're gonna be talking about, but I don't have any pre-designed script for how this is going. So I realized that I had an enormous amount of ability from previous experiences in my life to actually be a good podcaster. I just had to change my understanding of what a podcast actually was, and then my skills that I had been good at before that just found a new place, a new medium.
1: Yeah, I mean, in improv, the answer is always yes. That's the main tenet, the main rule of improv. If you're on an improv stage and someone says, hey, do you want this? Do you want to go here? The answer is always yes. Because as soon as you say no, you've now built a brick wall. So the answer is always yes. You're on stage in improv, someone wants to hand you a rubber chicken, do you want this? The answer is always yes, because now you keep rolling and that's how you support your partner. Rubber and
0: chicken? Anything. How did, how did you know I wanted a rubber chicken, you
1: know? <laughs> well, we have a whole studio full of rubber chickens here for those yeah. who can't see us. Dan, the last question I want to ask you, and then we'll wrap up the introduction here. This is the first episode of Podcast Payoffs. You mentioned the workshops. This is something that we can parlay to the entrepreneurs that you coach as well. So there's sort of two worlds here. And I wanted to know, what is it about the podcasts that work in conjunction, sort of symbiotically with the workshops? How do you take concepts from workshops and maybe work through them on the podcast or vice versa? Because entrepreneurs who have a lot of thinking to do to carry their business where they want it to go, They can perhaps use this tool as well to use the podcast to work through these concepts. So which is it that comes first? Is it the concept comes in the workshop and then you bring it into the podcast or do they just sort of flow freely from
0: both sides? Yeah, I would say for the first number of years, it was something that had already been worked in the workshop. So I had tested a lot. The way I create new concepts is always in the workshop, and it'll just be a thought that I have, and I'll write the thought on a whiteboard, and I'll say, does this mean anything to you? For example, I just had a concept that I created, which is called not being bothered, and I just put a statement up on the whiteboard that says 90% of any problem is that it bothers you. So I put it up there and people say, oh, yeah, that's totally true and everything. And then there's a second question that pops up and it says, if it didn't bother you, how quickly would you create the solution? And they said, well, it would be instantaneous if it didn't bother me. And then I create an actual thinking process of three things that really bother you right now. They write them down. And then I say, okay, next part of the form is take each of the things that really bother you now and ask yourself the question, if it didn't bother me, how quickly would I get to the solution? And it's just bang, 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 because all of my clients are entrepreneurs and what they get paid for is to quickly show someone who's being bothered that there's actually a really fast solution to that, and then the third part of it is now that you know what the solution is, how can you get other people to actually do the solution so that you don't have to do it and You know in about a ten minute period of time, they've worked through three solutions, but I haven't really supplied them with any knowledge whatsoever that I have of what they should do with the problem or utilize their thing. I'm simply relying on that all entrepreneurs are natural, enthusiastic problem solvers for other people who are bothered with problems. Mm -hmm. And I said, all I'm asking you to do here is apply to yourself, because you're bothered by a problem, what it is that you get paid for because other people are paralyzed by being bothered with a problem. And yet you have a way of thinking which allows them to say, 'Oh, oh, yeah, I could just do this and this and this i would say for the first half of my podcast life so let's say three years i'm six years in now i had already tested in my natural medium which is live workshops with 40 50 individuals and then i said you know why don't i start testing out ideas on the podcast with a partner and i say hey i got this idea Gord, and I just wonder if this idea means anything to you, because I'm so comfortable with the medium now, and we both have the rules. You help your partner out, and then I'll talk about it. So, I use the podcast, actually, as an additional medium for actually testing out ideas. Almost like an incubator. An incubator, and then I will go back to the workshop, and I said, you know, that worked pretty well on the podcast, Now I'll just test it out in the actual workshop. So, It's neither where I start one or the other, but if I start at one place, then I'll naturally take it across the border into the other medium. It just becomes that instead of having one gear, you got two gears, you know, and it makes you more capable.
1: So, for the entrepreneurs listening right now, it's a powerful incubator to help you think about your thinking.
0: Yes, it is. And the partners I have are all very, very good at this conversational way of developing ideas. They all know the rules. You always say yes. But the thing is that you try to add other dimensions that make the idea that your partner started with even more an interesting idea. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we were to sum up here just to what would be three things right off the bat that we've covered here, Gord, that are kind of building blocks just from your perspective, and then I'll add three that I think are here that... You don't mention. Okay. I think primarily it's we
1: have a capability right now to share ideas, and we're going to put these ideas out into the universe, into the galaxy. We're not asking anything for them. Anyone is able to go. We'll never charge for a podcast. We'll never have an ad on a strategic coach podcast. We're never going to ask you for anything. And it's a trust builder, essentially. So, as you mentioned, Dan, when people listen to the podcast, a lot of people that are coming into the program for the first time, they're already marinated, as you said. So, they have an understanding. So, it's sort of a head start. So you can get a head start on these concepts if you're listening to the show, if you're a client of Strategic Coach, if you're someone who's interested in perhaps becoming a client of Strategic Coach, it's a really good insight into your thinking and Shannon's thinking and the partners as well. So that's, I would say, the first thing, it's that we're providing something, and those that are interested in doing podcasts as well, this can parlay into you. So you can provide something for your clients and your prospects and ask for nothing in return so they'll have an idea of what they're getting into first and foremost before they even approach you for anything in that regard second thing the production of them has become so simple now two microphones we have a wonderful audio engineer Willard Bond who does an exceptional job with all of the partner shows and the shows we do here It's easy to get these out into the atmosphere now, and it's not like it used to be. Like You brought up the reel-to-reel, Dan, where people were cutting with razors, and they had tape and wax. (laughs) Willard just smiled because I think that I'm after that generation. Any of the audio production that I've ever done never involved a razor. (laughs) Thank God it was all digital at that point. And I think the last thing is, which sort of ties in with all of them, it's a global reach. Mm -hmm. We'll touch on that in later episodes as well. We put these out and anyone at any point can get them whenever they want. It's unobtrusive. We're not asking for much of your time or your attention. You start it. You stop it when you want. I think that's why they've been so successful. And that's why podcasts are growing so exponentially. It's the education when you want, how you want it. And we're
0: not asking for anything in return. I would say from my standpoint, talking to my entrepreneurs, uh, active Strategic Coach clients, we're starting to move in on 15,000, 16,000 individuals who have spent years in Strategic Coach, but they like staying in touch with us, and the podcast is a really good way to do this. So the thing I'd like to say here, just do the part of the podcasting where you feel very comfortable that you can use your natural entrepreneurial skills. So how these things get produced, how they get packaged, how they get sent, I have no idea. So our central concept in Strategic Coach of who, not how... I'm a who who is on a team with other people, but there's a lot of hows to podcasting that I don't know, nor do I need to know because the world is filled with people who can handle the unique ability parts of it that I don't have that unique ability. The second part about it is, and I'd like to reinforce this that nobody wants it to be scripted the human ear can pick up in about three seconds whether something is happening naturally and it's happening spontaneously and when it's scripted Mm -hmm. so the moment you try to script there's a deadness that comes on air and people get distracted they don't want to listen to anything that's pre-prepared pre-scripted the third thing is that this podcast medium everything you're already doing that's great in your business Everything you're already doing and making new contacts in the world, this medium will just naturally support everything good that you're already doing.
1: Well, that seems like a very logical place to wrap up episode one. On episode two, if you join us, we'd love you to. We're going to discuss a very quick four-point guide on the very first thing that you should be doing if you're thinking about starting a podcast. And we'll just call it the planning right now because having something to say is probably the most important thing and we're going to touch on a few of those as well why most podcasts fail why you're not getting the download numbers if you have an existing podcast we'll help you clear up some of those things on episode two of podcast payoffs thank you thanks dan